to another episode of The Caption Live, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society and vice versa. Coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas, I'm Kevin. And from Indianapolis, I'm Sean. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit. You can also find out more information and past episodes at our website, thecaptionlife.com. All right. Uh, tonight we have the great privilege of talking shop with another champion of comics and pop culture. Uh, we are lucky to have Kat Kalamia join us, and she is a comics writer, editor, critic, journalist, and YouTuber. She does most of this through her YouTube channel, Comics Uno, but also has bylines from IGN, DC Comics, Fandom, and TV Guide. She is also the author of a creator-owned series called They Call Her the Dancer, which we got to read. And the webtoon Slice of Life. And she's also the editor of a comic anthology called By Visibility, which launched through Kickstarter. Uh, while we have her here tonight, we're going to ask her about as much of that as possible. Uh, and we're going to play a little game because we always do that with our guests. So welcome to the show, Kat. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm very excited for this game as well. <laughs> well, we're, we're excited to have you on the show. And we always like to start with every episode that we do a guest interview with by asking our guests about your origin story. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into comics as a fan and to where you're at now? Of course. Yeah. I've been a fan of comics all my life. My dad got me into comics when I was really young. Uh, he was into comics when he was really young. And uh, back in the day, he'd read all those silver age comics. And uh, when he's like 13 or 14, his dad sold them all. So uh, when he got older, uh, his his kind of mission was to find all those comics that he used to love to read. So I remember going on eBay with him and like saying, oh, that's a cool comic. That's a cool comic. And he, he would read like old school Silver Age Superman and Green Lantern and and all that fun jazz. And, you know, I I was I'm, I'm 27. So around when I was a kid, the Tobey Maguire movies had come out. You had, you know, Batman, the anime series, you had X-Men Evolution, these type of shows that also kind of got me into comics, Static Shock. I was like, oh, I want to see more. And I already knew that comics existed because of my dad. So I'd read like Spider-Man comics, X-Men comics. And then, you know, obviously Superman and Batman because of the Silver Age stuff I'd read. So I, I was always into it. And then in high school, I started to do YouTube videos on like my pull list. And I still do that. So it's been over 10 years that I, I've been reviewing comic books. And after college, I, I really decided I wanted to pursue writing. And I loved comics, and uh, that's kind of how that started. And I, I started with a, a title called "Like Follow My Daughter." The Dancer actually is my second series, and it's a book that's been done for a while. It's been done since I finished college, or like four or five years. Uh, and it's just coming out now because of the publication uh, history of it. It was at a publisher, and we were kind of waiting for a little while uh, to get it, uh, published because we're, we're trying to figure out if we could pitch it. And it was originally a black and white book. And then we started coloring it. So I went out on my own and, and started publishing it through Kickstarter. So this is actually kind of an older book, but being reinvented for the Kickstarter, uh, platform and, uh, issue two has been released in black and white, but has never been released in color. And then issue three and four have not been released. So we're kind of gearing up to finishing the miniseries. So it's interesting to kind of look back at the book as well, because it's been a little while since I, I wrote that one. Nice. Now, <laughs> and you stole my second question, because my follow up to that was going to be about uh, about that story. But I'll I'll transition <laughs> to a di different change, change of pace here. Um, so you also do a webtoon called The Slice of Life. 
Yes. And yeah. when I first saw your um, when I first saw your Twitter header, I was like, oh, that's some cool Xena and Gabrielle fan art. Uh, <laughs> but but then I, I, I mean, I got to, I started looking into your bio and everything and I was like, oh, this is, this is from her comic. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So Slice of Life is something I've been doing with my writing partner, Phil. Uh, and we started this, I would say, honestly, less than a year ago. So the, the comic's been published for about seven months now. And we started, you know, probably three months or so before that start writing and, and finding an artist. So it's been about a year that we've been working on the book and we just had finished our crossover between my superhero book, my father, like daughter and his horror book haunting. And I remember saying, Hey, I want to like do more of this. We should work together more. And, and uh, we were actually in real life friends for, since I was in college, we met through one of my college friends and uh, you know, for the longest time, we wouldn't even talk about comics. Like he knew I liked comics. He knew I worked in comics and he liked comics for his whole life, but it just wasn't something we talked about. And then one day he's like, Hey, like, I want to make my own comic. How do I do that? I gave him advice. And honestly, we became even better friends because of it. And, and then we started, you know, trading scripts with each other and saying, Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And we just noticed that we, a worked really well together, but B we had a similar writing style and, and liked some, some similar stuff within writing. So I said, you know, let's write this crossover. And again, that was done. So we're both queer creators and we saw Webtoon as a really good opportunity to hit an audience that I feel like comics hit yet. Like, you know, DC Comics, this was before DC Comics did the Batman Webtoon. Uh, I know that AWA does some Webtoon stuff. I don't know if they still do, but, you know, comics haven't really fully got into Webtoon and there's more readers on webtoons than actually that reads comics right now. So I'm like, why wouldn't you try to get into that audience and, and try to even widen your audience. So this was a book perfect for, you know, a younger audience and in that platform. So that's what we ended up doing. And I know I buried the lead here, but the book is about an anime character uh, who comes to life and falls in love with the high school cheerleader. So it's a romance, but it's really a story about, what is life? You know, it's really breaking down the genre of slice, a slice of life. Uh, so that comes out weekly and we're super proud of it. And we collect the physical version through Kickstarter. So we just had a Kickstarter for issue one that we were super proud of uh, that followed by visibility, which has been a, a great campaign as well that had like over 1300 backers and uh, was a anthology about bisexuality, which we're actually looking for now uh, volume two for submissions that's going to be ending January four, uh, 14th. And we're super proud of that as well. Awesome. Yeah. It seems like with webtoons, it, it's, in, it's funny and interesting that you bring that up in terms of um, how many people are using that because we've had a couple people on this show who have created their own comics through webtoons. It seems like it's a really accessible and great way for people who are, new to that area of being a comic creator that doesn't have like the networking opportunities or anything to get into like the bigger publishing that if they wanted to just create and start something of their own. It seems like Webtoons like is a really great platform for that. It is. I would say it's interesting because I think there's two paths. Like I do see a lot of indie creators who already have comics mm -hmm. going into Webtoon and I see successes and well pluses and minuses with that. The minus is that tune is a very, um, it has a very, genres that it hits, right? Mm -hmm. And it also is 
sliced differently. So the way you read a webtoon is different than what you would read a comic. Right. Comic is all about the page turn and the panel work. And for a webtoon, it's all about the scroll. It's mm-hmm. a different format, it's a different uh, way to read. So something that we did with Slice of Life is that we purposely made it as a webtoon mm-hmm. because like we wanted to make it as as a, you know, for that platform. But at the same time, we always thought, okay, how can we make this a comic? And I, I think some people go on webtoon and they only just think about it as their comic and not think about the webtoon platform as a whole. Right. So I think that's something I would love to see more of is people that do both, but also think of both mediums while they're doing it and maybe even creating that project to do both mediums. Right. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's, that's starting to be a reality for bigger publishers as well, too, because Marvel has their Infinity Comics that's designed for you just to be scrolling up, basically. So, yeah. It, and it's it's just like what you said. I think it's a great idea to keep that in mind, like not just the you know, the traditional comic way of, of doing things, but also thinking about the platform using as well, too. So I feel like such an old man on my lawn <laughs> when, it, when it comes to stuff like that, because, because I hate watching, I hate watching videos on my phone. Uh, like no matter, no matter what, like even if they're just YouTube videos, mm-hmm. I don't really love, um, I don't really love that. I mean, TikTok is different, but, um, right. when it comes to comics, like my wife just bought me a tablet for me to be able to read digital comics on it because between um between living in a rural area where I don't have access to go to a store um all the time and then also uh you know just having the time to sit and read I digital is much more accessible and so I'm I feel like oh look at me I'm evolving as a human being but like part of me still just like I want to smell the paper and um, I want to <laughs> I want to be able to read things the the old school way. I want to be able to watch stuff on my big TV and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time adjusting to all that. But the the Webtoons platform to me is is about that accessibility because you can you can get it anywhere on any device. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's not much of a difference between looking at it on your phone versus your, your desktop or your laptop or whatever. And, and for those, those types of things, I really like it. The people that we've met, the creators that we've met, um, that, that they were, um, that they had created something on Webtoon. It's always a very positive experience to go, go to the website and and be able to see that. Um, it just makes me, it just take. I guess it took a while for me to get make that my comfort zone because I'm I'm like a a purist or a I'm old school, <laughs> right? Which is understandable, though. Honestly, I'm a Wednesday warrior. I get my comics every Wednesday. I I like to read it physically. Mm-hmm. I really do. Like when it comes to comics, like I like I'd have the opportunity to read them digitally. Like as a critic, I. I can, but mm. I don't want to. I rather read it printed. But then again, like Webtoon, it's free and it's it's made to read that way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think there's pluses and minuses to to every medium in in that regard of should you be physical or on the web. But I'm I'm just glad that's hopefully reaching people that normally wouldn't read. And I think Webtoon's really proving that. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that helps me like make the transition to digital. Um, is because I'm also like a comics collector. So I have things that are old and, and sort of valuable. And I always have this hesitation to actually pick them up and read them because I don't want them. I don't want to ruin them. <laughs> and and that sentiment alone forced me to where I am now, where I, I essentially I only read like the trades because I don't want to mess with my comics and I want to be able to read it all at the same time. I mean, you can see my 
you can see like that's just all books, like all like, hundreds and hundreds of trades. Um, mm-hmm. But but reading them digital, there's no there's nothing I can accidentally tear. My digital comics are all <laughs> nine point nine gems. So <laughs> that is very true. Well, and, and the one thing I really like about digital is for me, that's what got me back into comics was the Marvel Unlimited platform. Oh, yeah. And then that's what got me back into like buying the, the paper version of comics. But what I really love about what they did, and I don't think it's just Marvel, but I think it's it's a lot of the big publisher that has their own platforms or apps is that they've created smart panel, which is not only can you like look at it page by page, but it'll guide you by showing you like what panel that you need to read first. And for me, that was always helpful because sometimes I can't figure out in a comic like who is saying what first and what order. And that smart panel not only takes you to the panel, but sometimes it might take you to a section in that panel. So that way you can read it like the way it's supposed that it's intended for. And there's no like guessing game on like, wait, this doesn't make sense. And then you have to like figure out like, oh, okay, if I read it in this order, then it all makes sense now. So it's like comics with training wheels. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> my, I needed my that, wife so. who's not a comics person would probably love that. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, so Kat, uh, switching gears a little bit, you just finished a Kickstarter campaign for your comic anthology called by visibility, which you talked about a little bit earlier. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that project? You said it's a, a passion project for you. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about like why that project is important, maybe specifically to you or just important in general to have out there in the world? Of course. Yeah. So um, I am a bisexual creator and I, I feel like over the years, you know, outside of comics, even there's not a lot of bisexual representation. Mm-hmm. So I made it because of that. You know, I think a younger me uh, would have appreciated it. And I, I think it was really important uh, to have that representation. And I remember mm-hmm. like when I was trying to figure out my next project, I, I had a group of friends that we, we all do Kickstarter comic stuff. And we, we, we do like a monthly um, happy hour where we just talk, you know, talk about Kickstarter and talk about the projects we we're about to do. And I, I brought up like, oh yeah, no, I was thinking about doing this anthology, but you know, I could, I'm probably going to wait a little while, you know, I'll figure it out when it, because it felt a little daunting. It was a lot. And I never had made an anthology at that point. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing my little corner here and doing my stuff. And then uh, everyone's like, why don't you do that now? Like, that sounds perfect. Like do it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So I, you know, I, I came up with the submission form and, and got a lot of great creators. And then me and my co-writer, uh, uh, Phil, we, we ended up looking through all the submissions. He was the assistant editor for it. And it just came out to be a really great book. Uh, we worked with so many wonderful people and it made us want to do a second one because it just, just from the feedback that we got where people were, said exactly what I said, there's not enough bisexual representation uh, that's specifically about bisexuality. And uh, I would say authentically about bisexuality. So I'm I feel like there's just so many stories that we we didn't have a chance to include in volume one. And I think a volume two, volume three, volume four, uh, we still won't be scratching the surface. So uh, mm-hmm. we, we just want to tell as many stories as we can and get as many voices of, as we can. And when did you when did you wrap up that Kickstarter? We wrapped that up uh, in September. So we ended it. Um, by like, I think the week before was like by visibility day is it, it was a week of, of by visibility. So that was in September. And then like right after that, we launched slice of life, which was in October and they were like <laughs> holiday time. We should take a break from our Kickstarters. And then we're launching another, which is the dancer we're launching in January. Uh, but yeah, we launched it in uh, August, September. It was a really good time for Kickstarter. It did really well on the platform. I got over 1300 backers. We got 
$30,000. This time around, we'd like to do volume two for Pride Month. So that is our aim. So honestly, it didn't take that long to do the book. It took it was probably one of the easier books to work on because I didn't have to write all the stories and you know, it, all the teams just worked really well together. So it, it was pretty seamless to work on that book. Cool. Are you, are you connecting writers with artists? Like, are you taking written submissions and connecting them with artists for, for this project? Yeah. So that's something I really want to do differently. I know a lot of anthologies, especially on an indie level, they'll make creators pay uh so they'll like pretty much how indie comics works like they'll Mm -hmm. have the have the creative team either a writer or an artist uh they have to pay their page rates they gotta pay for the lettering and all that and like put their story together be like hey here's this thing uh but for us we we really wanted to pay everybody so we wanted to pay the writer we wanted to pay the artist we want to pay everyone that's involved and then also another thing about anthologies i feel like it's usually you have to bring your own creative team as well so you have to either know an artist or you have to know a writer and and then present that story. And for us, we're like, well, maybe this is someone's first story. Maybe they're a veteran, you know, maybe an artist wants to write their own story. So we really want to make it flexible. And so a writer, they have to submit their script, Mm -hmm. uh, but they could also say, this is the person I'm working with for my art team. This is who I want. An artist could just have to submit their portfolio. And, and that's how we work it. Another thing I guess that's different for us too is that we do ask for a finished script. I know a lot of anthologies don't do that. They're just like, oh, give us a pitch and we'll get a general idea. But we really want to know, A, if we, a, if you don't finish a script, then you're probably not going to finish a script when you get hired. <laughs> so we want to make sure you you actually finish your work. So like, you know, mm-hmm. what your work ethic is. But two, like we want to get a gist of your writing style. We I, I just felt like a better way to craft a, a better story anthology mm. so that's something we end up doing that was a little different here too so the script does have to be done um and then you know if you're accepted we'll edit it with you and then some people will have an artist with them if, if we thought the artist paired well with them if not we'll either get someone that had a portfolio through a submission form or just an artist that we've worked with in the past or you know an artist we're newly making a relationship with so uh yeah we really try to juggle in a, in a different way and, and just, again, craft the best book we can, but give opportunities to as many different type of creators as possible as well. Awesome. Um, you've spoken here recently in some of your YouTube videos about um, LGBTQ plus storylines and comics. And, and I was wondering if you would share some of your thoughts on, on that with us, you know, something along the lines about, about where, where that, where those storylines are and, and do you feel like it's finally getting the attention that it deserves? I do. I, I think that we always have work to do, but I'm I'm happy to see characters like Tim Drake uh, come out as bi. I'm happy to see characters like John Kent come out as bi. But I do think some of those stories are too soon to tell. If it's and I hate saying this, but if they're just u- utilizing it for the headline, because right. I, I you know we have seen it in the past where it's just like. Oh, they're bi. And then you never see stories with them or you never talk about their bi-ness and or talk about their queerness. And I, I hope that and, and we know that they gets out. I think the Batman, uh, uh, Batman Urban Legends, they did have a story with Tim going on a date with Bernard. So that was mm. awesome. And, and hope. But then also it's like, why not give Tim Drake his own series? Why can't we see a whole series about Tim Drake mm. and, and his discovery of his bisexuality and other things as well? Um, and then same thing for John that just happened. So it's hard to tell if, you know, how much page count will be told with his queerness, 
But I, I think it's such a good thing that they did it. And I'm really excited to see those stories. And I think that, you know, these are two great characters to do that with. Um, and yeah, I would love to see just more queer representation. I think we have some wonderful characters. That, again, I think the biggest issue that I think we have to go over through comics is actually giving them panel time. Because we do have some wonderful characters like Carolina and Nico. And then, you know, mm. Runaways just ended. And we had that Pride book. And you're like, but where can I see more of them? Like, I, I think that's the big thing that the mainstream comics have to do is give us like, you know, a queer book of some sort. And again, I'm not saying that the whole book has to be queer. But I think it'd be nice to talk about their queerness every once in a while, too, if that's something that they're trying to utilize. So um, I think that's I think we're in a much better place than we were five years ago. But I think there's always work that can be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we got to we got to move towards the point where um, these things are are part of the plot and not just something to like the to hawk the headline and to to like, look, look at look at this character. He's he's gay or he's. He's queer, but then, then like write them out in the next episode or the next issue, and right. exactly, and, yeah, it's or, a disservice to everybody, yeah, mm-hmm. or even just like that becomes the only thing about that person's identity, and and I see that can be aggravating as well too. I mean, it aggravates me where I'm just like, I want to know more about this person beyond just that one part of their identity. Like, I'm glad to see that, and I and I want to read that. And see that, but there's also more to a person than just that part of it. And I don't see it too often, but um, I've have heard stories of other comics where they've done that, where it's just like it's just like what you said, Kat. It's just more of using it as a way to like draw people in, and then just never really do anything. And so it's kind of it feels really like a cheap device to use to try to almost um, exploit that to get more readers in and it just does a disservice for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. You want authentic characters. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. that's something we really want to do, of course, by visibility, but I think a bigger example of that is slice of life, mm-hmm. right? It's a comic that is a queer romance, but we don't want the book to just be a queer romance. It's a story about life and the characters have struggles and, and positives outside of their romance and outside of their queerness, but also mm. queerness is a big part of their story because there are queer people. Right. So I think uh, it's a balancing act. You obviously don't want to not talk about their queerness because that's part of them. But mm. at the same time, I agree. It, it can't be their only part of their character because that's a two dimensional person. Mm. That's not, you know, queer people don't always just talk about being queer. Uh, yeah, but we it's not like, like talking about being queer. It's not right. like it. It's like the defining factor for their decision making. There's, it, exactly. we're we're all the same like you still make decisions <laughs> the same way right all right well exactly i well, we appreciate your uh your take on that and sharing that with us because um that's something as a podcast that we want to continue to be uh a venue for uh ideas and opinions and stuff uh especially where like we said, where where real life and fiction come to come together, and how the things we experience in life are are reflected in the pages of the comics we read, and and you're doing a fantastic job with this because you're somebody who um, maybe didn't see yourself um, in a comic that you were picking up on a Wednesday, and you went and created your own, and I think that that's what's yeah. that's what's important for people to understand about representation. Is that we're not we're not trying the you know the comics industry isn't trying to uh, pander to everybody. 
it's it's twofold. They're trying to show representation. The, sorry, we're trying to show representation uh, that's reflective of the world that we live in. But at the same time, the more people that see themselves in your comics, the more uh, the more comics they're going to sell. So mm-hmm. it's I think it's an important step in the in the right direction. One hundred percent agree. Okay, well, that was some serious stuff, and now we're going to get kind of zany. <laughs> I didn't I'm have a good, I didn't have a good segue for for playing this game, <laughs> but we are gonna we are gonna play a game because we play a game with all of our guests, and tonight's gonna it's not gonna be any different. Uh, here's what we're gonna do. Sean didn't know about this ahead of time. Cat didn't right. know about this ahead of time. In honor of her upcoming Kickstarter for the dancer, we're gonna play a game called the Dance Assassin Time Machine. <laughs> and I love it. And what's going to happen is I'm going to read you a description uh, of of a year that involves a dance craze and a famous movie about an assassin or a hit person. And then then you're going to guess what you think is the year and we'll play we'll play Price is Right. Well, I mean I guess no, we'll just whoever gets closest. We'll win. <laughs> Because you know, I can't promise I'll be good at this, but I I gotta try my dang hey, hardest. There we've done we've done games like this several times on the show, and even the train wrecks are fun to listen to. So oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're really so good. So we're gonna kick it off with the first one. Um, so listen carefully to my description, and I will take Cat's guess first, and then Sean's, and then whoever gets it right will guess first the next time. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, you could dance the night away doing the Carlton, popularized by the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air character, but be on the lookout for this kind but deadly assassin, Leon the Professional, if you go back to this year. Ooh. Let me read it one more I time? I think it's... No, I think... Uh, we know it's the 90s. Um, Fresh Prince. I'm going to go with 92. And Sean, your guess? I was uh, thinking 93, actually. Well, Sean, you would be wrong. It's 1992. <laughs> Way to go, Kat. <laughs> they all be good at this game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a flashback because we, we had a guest on the show where we had done like a year kind of game like this. And one time, like she guessed a year and I just guessed I didn't know what year t- it was. But I'm like, I'm going to guess just one year up. Just so if it's older, I'm closer <laughs> and I'm at a, you know, just kind of like a flashback. Like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing now is just guessing the next year in case it's older or a younger. That's, that's a smart tactic. <laughs> a smart tactic for sure. Yeah. But in this case, I truly thought it was 93 for some reason. So it wasn't a technique I was actually using. So <laughs> I saw Leon on Netflix and I kind of remembered seeing 92 next to it. So I was like, okay. And obviously Fresh Prince. So mm-hmm. I don't think I know about Leon. It's the movie. It's, a good movie. it's, it's yeah. in, the, in the United States. It's called The Professional, and it's about mm. um uh what's his name? French actor. His name is oh, Jean um, Reno. Yeah, he's really and good. He, I like and him. And he befriends um Natalie Portman as a child. Oh, I vaguely remember hearing about this. I haven't seen it though, so I'll have to okay. check it out. There, there's a plant in it. It's a it's a solid movie. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, second one is going to be. If you traveled back to this year, you'd be dancing the worm or the YMCA while in line to see Shogun Assassin, a big screen adaptation of the classic manga Lone Wolf and Cub. Ooh. Okay. I think this is the 80s. I think I'm going to go with 88. 
Um, I think it's younger than that. I want to say it's probably 83. The year is 1980. Oh, Ooh. 1980. <laughs> yes. The, uh, the worm and the YMCA were, uh, were holdovers from the 70, but they were still the last days of disco. Right. We're still going on in 1980 and Shogun Assassin came out in, in 1980. So who got that point? I did or you got that point, Sean. Okay. So it's tied one. It's whoever's closest. Closer. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> here's the deal. Third one. Brad Pitt starred as a mob hitman sent to recover the money stolen from a card game in killing them softly. The same year Korean rapper Psy was dominating the airways with Gangnam Style. Oh, God. I, I go first because I got the point last time, right? You did. You, you do. You get to go first. I want to say I want to say 2010 because I remember when Gangnam Style came out. I think I was teaching when that happened. So I want to say 2000. Let me go back one more year. Actually, 2009. I'm going to say 2009. I don't think I was in high school when that came out. <laughs> so I think I was in college. Um, and I graduated high school in 2012. So okay. I think I think it was 2013. The correct answer is 2012. Oh, <laughs> interesting. I wonder why I thought I was teaching when that happened. I don't know, Cat, no. if you've ever watched um, The Price Is Right, but when Sean when Sean spews out all of that information, he's like, "Oh, I think it's this." You're the right thing to do is just guess one year above him. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll be right. Yep. Because I was like, oh, what's she going to do? What's she going to do? And luckily you, you, you got it. So that's great. Yep. Okay, you just need to be closer. That's all you need to do. <laughs> just closer. You don't have to be right. Right. Okay. If you traveled back to this year, you'd have a hard time escaping the catchy song La Macarena and the dance that accompanied Gina Davis would also be hot on your tail as an amnesiac hit woman in the long kiss. goodnight. Well, I definitely wasn't alive for this. So it's before 94. Um, I'm going to go with the eighties. Um, let's guess 88 again. Sean. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was that old. I'm, I'm going to go with 1990. The correct answer is 1996. Okay. What? Yes. <laughs> this starred this also starred an up and coming actor named Samuel L. Jackson, who helped Gina Davis <laughs> rediscover who she was in the movie. Which nice. is a, actually a really good movie. All right, here we go. Uh so Sean, you're going first. The score is tied two to two now. Mm -hmm. With three to go. So there's gonna be a winner. All right. <laughs> Way back in this year, the moonwalk and thriller by Michael Jackson were still all the craze when John Hurt and Tim Roth starred as two hitmen transporting a key witness against the mob to his execution in The Hit. I want to say this has to be 1982. Ooh, I'm going to go with 85. The correct answer is 1984. Oh! Ooh. I got it. Got it by got it by one. Yes. So uh, the moonwalk came out at the beginning of or the, earlier in 1983, but Thriller came out around in August. Or, you know, and ran through the end of the year. It was the most popular song for a long, long time. So that bled into 1984. They didn't gotcha. come out the same year, but Thriller was Thriller was the jam in '84. Okay. So Cat's gonna go first on this next one. Legendary hitman and Energizer Bunny of assassins John Wick 
was wrapping up the third chapter of his film franchise at the same time as flossing had taken the world by storm <laughs> in this year. Okay. So it has to be during uh Fortnite days. I don't know how old Fortnite is. Uh, I'm <laughs> guessing it's like three years old uh, or so maybe. Um, 2018. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go 2019 because I was going back and forth between 2018, and 2019. Since you guessed that, I'm just going to go with 2019. So it is 2019. Yes. Ooh. And and I had the edge on that one because I remember when my son was learning to do the floss, and he's just at that age where he can kind of figure out like how to do like dance moves. Not like well, but like they do like movement breaks all the time, and so they always do like dancing to these videos. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I actually had to teach him how to do the floss because I was in show car in high school. So I kind of figured out, like, you know, how to make the movement. So I had to teach him, like, how to do the hips and then just do the arms and then putting them together and everything. So, but it, it bled all together. <laughs> True confession. When I'm standing by myself, like at bus duty in the morning, uh, I, I will try to floss. Like, I'll just practice it. <laughs> I'm still trying to get it like three years later, but my comically short arms and <laughs> wide body, like just the combination doesn't, um, doesn't, doesn't line up. Well, I kind of look like a uh, Humpty Dumpty having a seizure out there <laughs> or Humpty Dumpty different type of being stuck. Different dance moves. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something totally different. All right. Yeah. It all comes down to this. If you hitched a ride on the dance assassin time machine to this year, you could walk like an Egyptian to the multiplex to see James Woods star as a hitman helping detective slash author Brian Dennehy to write his next book in bestseller. I'll do that one more time. If you hitched a ride on the Dance Assassin time machine to this year, you could walk like an Egyptian to the multiplex to see James Woods star as a hitman helping detective slash author Brian Dennehy to write his next book in bestseller. Um, man, that's a good one. I'm trying to remember when that came out. I'm going to say 1987. I have a feeling that's wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go with 1985. 1985. The correct answer is drumroll. <laughs> Sean, you suck. It's 1987. <laughs> oh. Sean is never going to let a guest win a. <laughs> Oh my god! You know, like people are going to listen to all these episodes and be like, "This game was rigged." Because Sean always says he never knew, and then somehow he always wins. <laughs> You're a good guesser. You're a good guesser. And let me tell you something. So here's the thing: I have a bunch of tabs open on my um, on the the game that I was. You know, I have it all on a Google slide because mm-hmm. I have graphics and everything. Um, but here's the thing, and I'm going to do this for the listeners. will be like, well, if you, if you did your research, um, when I wrote, <laughs> he's talking about wrote, Madden, by the way, <laughs> yeah, here's the deal. Cause Madden, my son would be the His one son, to point yeah. this out. Um, so in my Google thing, my Google document that I created all this stuff in, I put down the Carlton and the professional in 1992. I'm looking at the tab that's open that has the professional, um, on IMDB and it says 1994. And oh. so, um, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. Sean still wins. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Either way, I lost. But I wanted like, to I, cor- I wanted to correct that before somebody was like, you know what? I'm not listening to this podcast anymore because these people don't know anything about pop culture. <laughs> 
they don't know Leon, then I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> our our deep background knowledge of French assassin films from the nineties is I mean, it is the French assassin film from the nineties. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to discredit right. anybody that just stumbled onto this podcast and they have a giant Leon poster on their wall. <laughs> um but I made that mistake. That's not that's not on Kat or Sean. That was me uh last minute prepping. <laughs> but thank you, Kat, for playing because you are a good sport. Yeah. And you did really, really thank well. You. you did really, really well. Yeah. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. That was cool. If I did nine, you if I had done nine instead of seven, we you probably would have taken it. I'm gonna be honest with you. You were you had, for sure. You we know that. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> Kill Bill would have been in there and we would have been. Oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> were you waiting for Kill Bill? He's like, oh he's gotta bring up Kill oh, Bill. Oh yeah, no, he's I'm definitely waiting Kill for Bill, Kill Bill. Yeah. yeah, never did. I, I dropped the ball on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there's it so wasn't many about the movies. From. The movies to me were easier to find. Because I could think of things and then I could hit IMDb. It was the getting the dance craze to line up with the assassin right. movie that was harder. So, no, this is a lot of research. I, I applaud. <laughs> I, I thought about like playing a game where I gave you a term and asking you if it was like a dance move, um, <laughs> a wrestling finishing move, or like um, a foreign an item of foreign cuisine. Oh yeah, I don't. But that think was I that won. was three things to research instead of two. Mm. So I went with this option. <laughs> next time next yeah. issue yeah <laughs> when Molly Chum goes out <laughs> <laughs> well and and hopefully we can get you back on the show at some point to talk about your future projects because we'd love to have you i love that this is so much fun it was such a pleasure well, good uh, thank you yeah so we before we let you go want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your journey with us uh, but before we let you go we want you to um, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work online course best place to find me is on twitter at comic you know and i will 100 have a twitter pinned if if you're listening in january for uh my dancer campaign which uh i, I think is is going to be live soon while you listen to this or is live uh so go check it out uh it's about a assassin slash dancer who uh has to deal with their childhood trauma so Definitely go check that one out. Go check out my YouTube channel, Comic Uno. I do weekly reviews for comics. And, you know, I try doing topic videos as well. So when Tim Drake comes out as bi, you can go check out those type of videos. Uh, and, yeah, those are the best places to find me. If I uh, if there's anything else to plug, like the webtoon and stuff like that, it's easily found on, on my Twitter. Awesome. Sean, before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, like what? <laughs> <laughs> like Sean's gonna like be this podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, hey, Sean's have you guys be... heard about our podcast? <laughs> no, Sean should have. You should have been like, yeah. Well, I'm gonna be doing the dishes this week, and <laughs> you can show me some support on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that, I I guess that's a missed opportunity. I wasn't even thinking about that. I'll be ready for next time. How about that? Okay. No, I, it was it was I surprised you. I jumped out on that. I know Kevin likes to do that just to mess with me because he knows I don't respond well to like impromptu. <laughs> yeah, Sean's questions. not an improv person, <laughs> but but you still do so well in these games. Yeah, Sean, I, I Sean know. knows his stuff. He's just not an improv person. What's funny is in high school I was actually part of an improv um, comedy group, but my thing was physical comedy. Like I did physical comedy really well. I I couldn't do scenarios very well. Like I you can give me. 
an idea and I would run with it. But if you asked me to come up with an idea, I would just freeze on the spot. And, and this is exactly what happens is you ask me something to come up with an original thought on the spot. And <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> Sean, Sean's like, whose line is it anyway? It's not mine. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> you will floss. Yeah. You'll, you'll do the floss. Oh, no yeah. I'll do, I'll do any of that stuff. When Anything Sean, that doesn't require speaking and just more physical action i'll do whatever you want that is why sean that's why we got to get you to cosplay as chewbacca because now that i know that you can floss flossing chewbacca would be even funnier cat you can't tell this sean is like six six mm-hmm. oh man yeah so he's an, i'm five two so he's an enormous human being so that's why he's like physical comedy for him is extra funny because when when you're enormous and you fall down yeah i mean it's, it's funny But thank you again, Kat, for coming on uh, and hanging out with us for a little while today. That wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, tag us in a post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, please visit thecaptionlife.com. Until next time, go check out Kat on her YouTube channel and some of her books. Good.